Are you tired of spending hours sharing and sending offers to likers? Introducing Posher VA, the web program that will save you time and increase your sales. With Posher VA, you can automatically share your closet, send offers to likers, and schedule your share times all with just a few clicks. Using code ELDUCHO, you can try Posher VA for two weeks for free, no credit card required. Posher VA is not just another program, it is your program. Say goodbye to manual sharing and hello to even more time in your business. Try Posher VA today using code ELDUCHO, E-L-D-U-C-H-O. Welcome to the Flip the Script podcast. I'm your host, Denali, and I'm a full-time reseller on eBay and Poshmark. My store and closet name is El Ducho, E-L-D-U-C-H-O. You can also find me on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube as El Ducho Thrift. This week, I had the pleasure of interviewing a reseller that I've met through Instagram, and her name is Erin. You can find Erin on Instagram under the username Aaron the reseller, and all of that information will be in the show notes for you. Aaron is a reseller, a mom, and a recent law school graduate. While searching for a new wardrobe at a thrift store for her office job, she discovered the potential to buy and resell clothes for profit. Juggling the demands of being a law student, a single mom at the time, and an employee, she successfully built a thriving reselling business. Erin's journey embodies her remarkable ability to balance it all while showcasing her determination and time management skills. So without further ado, let's get into it. Hi, Erin. Thanks for being on the podcast with me today. Hey, Molly. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, of course. I'm so excited to have you here. I was just saying offline to Erin that she is so kind to join me. We have been playing a back and forth game, mostly me on the back and forth about scheduling this recording, but I'm so excited to talk to you because I feel like I know a lot of little things about you, Erin, but I don't know a lot of big things about you. I don't know if that makes sense. It's like, I, I feel like I have all these nuggets about you. So I'm really excited to sit down here today and put all of the pieces together. This feels really fun. So I guess my first question for you is, Tell me about yourself and what has led you to becoming a reseller today. So, oh my goodness, I feel like reselling um, has kind of always been a part of my life. I feel like you must hear that a lot, but I think some of us just all relate on that thrifty gene <laughs> that we have. It's like thrifty and entrepreneurial, and when you put them together, <laughs> we're a reseller. <laughs> I think the first time I started reselling was in high school. The way that AP courses work where I was is it was a huge honor to be accepted into an advanced placement course in high school, but you had to purchase your own textbook and very much like college, except I was young with no resources, no, you know, family resources. And I was faced with buying my first like $70 textbook. So at that time (laughs) I went on eBay and I bought it on eBay and I also sold a few things on eBay that I had around my house. Ed Hardy leggings come to mind. (laughs) Uh, I know. (laughs) And I sold a couple things. They paid for the textbook. What an amazing feeling, right? These were things sitting around my house that I didn't need. 
otherwise. And it enabled me to get a textbook also for a great price compared to, you know, the ones my friends got from their parents in the course. And I think it really started there. I sold that textbook after that course. And that's pretty much where I purchased all textbooks and sold many of them since. And I think that that was just always kind of part of who I was for the next several years. So if I wanted something that, you know, was costly and I wanted it for a discount, I'd look on Craigslist. I would look on eBay. I would look for things secondhand, thrift stores, of course. And similarly, when I had things that I no longer wanted, I would sell them. But that was more like occasional, like super casual selling. I, I don't think it was until about six years ago when I became like what I would consider a reseller, like reselling things for profit regularly as a, as a source of income. When I, so I waitressed and bartended and I did that for like about 10 years. I did that through community college and undergrad. I did that through, you know, becoming a mom, a young mom, a single mom. And I finally, undergrad took me many, many years. Uh, I finally reached a point where I wanted to go to law school. That had always been the goal and I somehow, you know, got there. But the problem was, is that I could not be a full-time daytime law student and waitress at night, nor could I be a nighttime law student and a waitress. So I was kind of at this, you know, I was a mom, so childcare was a factor, and I simply just couldn't do it all. It, it wouldn't work that way. So I found an office job that was great. It enabled me to work in an office as a paralegal and then go to law school at night. I hardly made enough during the day as a paralegal to even pay for my son's child care. But regardless, I, you know, put in my two weeks as a waitress. And this was a big change in my life because I was starting what, you know, a big girl job, if you will, and law school at the same time. The problem is I had zero professional clothing, like excluding, <laughs> I don't know, a waitress interview or like a wake. When would I have ever worn a blazer? So I, you know, they said business formal. And I was like, oh my goodness, does that mean suits? Like I've never, I don't, I don't think I had worn a suit. So I started going thrifting and I was really determined to find a professional wardrobe that I really liked from the thrift store. And I was also simultaneously looking on Poshmark, eBay, you know, all the places. And occasionally I would be in the thrift store and I'd see something that I had just seen, you know, just purchased something similar on Poshmark for like five times more. And then it just clicked. What if I buy this here to sell on Poshmark? Like I had sold over the years, but I had never once thought of buying something for the purpose of selling for more. I didn't even know that that was really a thing. And I think it was like a Calvin Klein suit. But, I, you know, it was two-piece. It was stunning. It was beautiful. I know on Poshmark it would have been near $100. And I had it for just a few at the thrift store. So I started purchasing to resell. And a couple months after that, once yard sale season hit, I mean, then I was done. Then I was like a full-blown reseller. <laughs> That's amazing. Okay, I'm sitting here taking notes and like trying to, to detail out your journey here. So I've got some questions. Okay, so interesting that back in high school for your AP courses, you had to buy your own textbooks and you went to eBay. I'm curious, what year was that? Do you remember? Um, 2009, I'd say. Okay, 2009. I'm just wondering because I'm thinking of my own textbook buying and selling experience that that 
or well, in years previous to that, you know, what led you to eBay over maybe other platforms? I mean, you know, there was Amazon that people are buying and selling used textbooks on. I don't know how big at that time textbook rental was, if that was if that was a thing at that point, I know at some point over the past 20 years that has evolved. What led you to eBay? Honestly, Denali was probably the lowest price. I probably started on Google, <laughs> found eBay. I'm, eBay's a household name and always has been. So it was probably like a safe familiarity to me. <laughs> and I think that's how I ended up there. <laughs> gotcha. Okay. No, that makes total sense. I mean, yeah, it's, eBay was a household name at that point. Okay. You mentioned that you also were you started kind of dabbling and selling items on there. You mentioned selling like Ed Hardy leggings and it kind of continued for you over the next six years, you, you said, and you were just doing casual selling. When you say casual selling, I'm just curious, was it like, I don't know, maybe, you know, a couple times a year or, you know, was it, were you able to kind of do cool things with the money that you're making? You know, what I, when I say cool things, I mean, like, was it providing you, I don't know, like $100 in income a month or something like that? I'm not sure that it was that much, but I do, I do recall a few significant times in my life, like prior to moving or saving up for a goal that I would kind of go hard, right? Like I'd empty the closet <laughs> and, I'd, right. and I'd list many things at once to kind of reach a financial goal. I actually remember having like a little like fill in chart, you know, that I'd made and I'd color in <laughs> as I got to it. So it's very, very motivating. So I don't yeah. think it was ever so serious as monthly. It was more like, okay, I'm moving. I want, you know, a new couch and I'm going to sell enough to make enough for it. You know, did you ever have a thought back then of, could this be full time? Did that, you know, was that something that popped in your head? Like, oh, I wonder if I could get more stuff. Obviously you did later on, but did that ever cross your mind at that point? Never. I didn't, I don't think I even knew people did that full time. You know, like, yeah. I mean, maybe, especially maybe in other areas, like all of the what do you call the auction shows and like the antiquers, those shows have always been really popular. So I think I always knew like there were people that bought and sold antiques, of course, but I never thought of like going to the thrift store for clothes to sell it. Like I had just never thought of it that way. You know, nowadays, maybe you could encounter somebody in your life who does this professionally. It's certainly feels like it's going to be more common than, again, going back 10, 15, 20 years ago. You're, you and I didn't mm -hmm. know about it, so it was probably much harder to find people who are doing this professionally. Speaking of thrift stores, you know, you mentioned that as you were in school, you were waitressing, and then you eventually got this job working at the paralegal office, and they told you that it was going to be business formal, which certainly would scare me as well. <laughs> I like that you said, unless it was, would you say a wake or what was the other one? A job interview at a restaurant. A interview. <laughs> right. Between those two, you weren't going to really have a closet full of those items. So you went out thrifting. Had you been a thrifter previously, you know, in your personal life? Or was this something that I was like, okay, now that I have this coming up, I got to go there? Oh, I've always been a thrifter, not, not because I've always, you know, valued sustainability 
and lifestyle really just as a matter of means. <laughs> I've all, you know, it's, it's just always been a super affordable option for me growing up and as a young adult. So that's always where I've gotten most of my clothes anyways. So that was very convenient. I do enjoy the hunt. But yeah, business, a business formal is very intimidating when you've literally never worn a suit before. <laughs> right. I wouldn't even know. You know, it's hard enough going into a department store and figuring out when you need a new wardrobe for a job or it's usually a job, let's be honest. I mean, I would think a thrift store, but maybe you can tell me your experience with this. I feel like could it, is it more challenging because you're not going in and seeing that Alvin Klein's blazer in brown in a certain style in eight different sizes, right? You're at the mercy of what is available there. How were you able to kind of piece things together? Oh my goodness. It was so challenging. Well, I learned quickly that just because you found black dress pants and a black blazer, that does not mean they will be the same shade of black. So I was using like writ dye to on my stove to dye <laughs> things black to make them match and I pretty much for my first like eight months of that job or so all of that I wore was different blazers and pants with glasses underneath some of which weren't even borderline professional but if it's under a blazer and you only see so much of it it doesn't necessarily matter that it's spaghetti strap um, right. so <laughs> very very challenging <laughs> Yeah, that didn't even occur to me, but that's so true is that black at the department store, yeah, sure, you can pair pieces together pretty nicely, but at the thrift store, these are garments that have been laundered and dry cleaned and they fade and, you know, whatever mm -hmm. from being in somebody's closet or the sun. Yeah, that, I hadn't even thought about that, but thank goodness for it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> when you were at the thrift store, that's kind of when you had this light bulb moment because you had been shopping on at the thrift stores, but then additionally, you said eBay and Poshmark looking to kind of build this wardrobe to create, you know, this more business formal wear, you know, at the thrift store, you saw this Calvin Klein suit and you thought, okay, I could flip this. So tell me about that experience. You know, where did you list it? How did you figure out your pricing? How long did it take you to sell? And then how did you go from there? I mean, did you go back to the thrift store? Were you, this is a lot of questions in one, I apologize. But <laughs> then, then because you had success with that item specifically, did you stick with business formal wear? Like, did you think, oh, that's the recipe. I, I should keep doing this section. Okay, a lot of questions, but I've got a I lot know, of answers. Because I, I, <laughs> I remember this, uh, if, well, if I'm remembering this correctly. It was a Calvin Klein suit, and I had just either purchased one or almost purchased one, right? A different Calvin Klein suit. And I knew that it was, you know, $80 or something that I, the one that I was looking at on Posh. And here I was in the thrift store, and I think it was like $9. And I was like, wow. wow. I mean, if I sold this, even for 50 like the profit on that would be, would be decent. Like I could get some more professional clothing. So I picked up during that trip, I think two things, and it was kind of just going to be like a fun little experiment. Ironically, I went home, I photographed them on, you know, on the carpet, on the bedroom floor, horrible <laughs> photos. And I actually thought, you know what, I'm going to list a few other things that I have. I hadn't at that time 
like done any casual reselling lately. So there were definitely other things in my closet too. And this was my first time listing on Poshmark, by the way. I had only mm-hmm. listed on eBay and Craigslist prior to this. So I did my first, you know, little Poshmark batch of listings with the Calvin Klein suit, a couple things from my own closet. And I think it was within a couple days that I made a sale and it wasn't even the suit. <laughs> it was a pair of Charlotte Ruth denim shorts that sold for $9 on the, <laughs> like the most terrible picture on the dingy carpet with one of the filters from back in the day on Posh that really distorted <laughs> the image entirely. <laughs> but that $9 so and I was hooked. I was like, I, I was so into it. Things started selling and I, continued to buy and buy and buy and buy. (laughs) The first sale wasn't necessarily that suit. You just realized from there, oh, okay, I took a picture of that suit. I put it on Poshmark. That seems simple. And then you turned around and looked at your closet and thought, well, I have more stuff here. So you list the Charlotte Ruth denim shorts. And then you mentioned that it kind of snowballed from there, that you went back, you were thrifting, and then there was garage sales and that kind of kept propelling you forward in your journey I mean I guess a million dollar question is did you continue on with the office job or did you let reselling just take over your life (laughs) so I did for a few years I continued with the office job so that was a really big turning point the the Charlotte Rue shorts you know the Savers Calvin Klein because like I had said I was at a point where you know, wait, wait, waitressing is really good money. Like waitressing and bartending mm-hmm. is astronomically good money. Even whether you're at a chain restaurant or a five-star dining, it's it's not easy to make that amount of money quickly. And mm-hmm. I was giving that up for a day job that hardly paid enough for the daycare during the day. I mean, I think I my total at the end of the week was like less than 200 actually left. And that wow. I was trying to be a lost student at night which was, you know, required burying myself in loans. So it came at a really good time because I needed side income. And I mean, I really needed that. (laughs) I had a, I was a single mom. I had a little one to support and I did that seriously for, for years. I, every day I brought a thing of packages and a big Ikea bag into work. And on my lunch break every day, I went to the post office. And then after my office job, the nights I had school, I went to school. Otherwise, you know, I came home and after my son was in bed, I did more reselling work. I was throughout the day listing, you know, from my phone anytime I got a second. I did it for many years. And it was not until like April of 2020, I'd say, you know, at the beginning of COVID, when my school, my law school and my office job both became remote overnight. So overnight, I am now not leaving the house, whereas I used to, you know, work 40 hours and go to law school part-time. And I had more time. I had more time to sell clothing. I had piles of clothing from the summer. I'm in New England. So our yard sale season is about May to about September. And I really, really take advantage of that here. So I had a ton of clothes that from, you know, the previous season I've never been listed and I was able to really devote a lot of time to it. And I started to, you know, make significantly more on Poshmark than I was at the law firm. And I was, you know, I, at this point I was pretty involved in the community. I was in all the Facebook groups 
And I realized that, you know, there are a lot of people that do this full time. And I was thinking, you know, I'm only selling on Poshmark. That's one marketplace. And how many are there to sell on? I bet that I could make more money. And I kind of flirted with that idea. But at the same time, I was in law school and I was working as a paralegal where I'd been for a few years. I had wonderful bosses and role models. I was learning a lot of how to practice law in a really hands-on way that my classmates were not receiving. I, I couldn't fathom leaving that opportunity. I mean, I almost had a ticket once I got the bar to just practice law in that firm. And so I wasn't going to do it. I was just going to think about it. And I was going to keep selling. And, you know, once my boss wanted me to come back to the office, I just couldn't picture it. I could not picture going back to spending over $400 a week on childcare to never see my child because I'd also become accustomed to having meals with him for the first time <laughs> in his life, which, which sounds bad, but it's really true. And to, to make less than I do on Poshmark. I, <laughs> I didn't go back. <laughs> I kind of copped out for a month and said, I, you know, I still wasn't ready. I still wasn't comfortable. I'm not sure if it's the right time to put my son back in daycare to go back. And when I had kind of extended that period that I could put off returning to the office, I gave my two weeks and I quit my paralegal job <laughs> to be a full-time reseller. <laughs> That's awesome. So when, what period of time, like what year are we talking about for when you put in your two weeks? 2021, I put in my two weeks. Got it. Okay. So Actually, you know what? It might've been the end of 2020. I think it was, I think it might've been like November of 2020. Oh, so they wanted you, I mean, a lot of people were still working remote in 2020. So that's your office. I don't know. I guess maybe I wouldn't, <laughs> I wasn't in an office at that time. So I guess I don't have that perspective. I mean, does that seem like it was on the earlier end compared to I, maybe other people in your life that you knew who were returning to work? Or did that seem about the same time? It was sooner, but it was a small firm. I think there were nine employees. We all had our own office. Honestly, we could have probably maintained a safe and distanced work environment, even returning. <laughs> they, yeah, I mean, they weren't wrong. They wanted me back. I had, I had duties at my job until that required me to be there. Then end of 2020, you give your two weeks. And at that point with your business, do you feel like you had scaled it up enough that there wasn't much of a transition period for you to go, you know, full time? Or was there a transition time? There was, I mean, the answer is both. I felt, I feel like I was ready. I had done all the numbers. I had looked, I had determined that in the last, you know, in the six months prior, there were like two weeks where the law firm paid more than Poshmark. So I felt like I was ready. I had um, a small office. Like I said, it did not have enough employees to require like extensive benefits that I received from school anyways. So the health insurance was all set because of course that's a really big concern. But it's still, I still didn't realize what I was getting into in terms of managing consistency, self-management and discipline. I, I always thought, you know, I'm organized, I'm highly motivated. I thought this will be perfect. I'm going to, you know, enjoy this like comfortable schedule that's flexible and do what I want with my children when I want it and then, you know, work when I can. And as, as we all learn, 
there's a transition period. It's, it's not, it's not that easy. It's actually not easy to be your own boss. It's not easy to get yourself to do things you don't want to do. It's not easy to discipline yourself. It's not easy to stay focused. It's not easy to stay off your cell phone when there's no one that you're worried about walking around seeing you on your cell phone. So there was definitely a transition period for sure. I, I kind of decided if I'm doing this, I'm going to dive in. So I, I, you know, I dove. I became active on social media where, I, you know, previously I was only really in the Facebook groups, but I made an Instagram account for reselling. I got on Clubhouse and started meeting resellers. I started listing on all these places, researching how to do that and trying to work on social media and do all these things. And it was so many things and it was totally not planned. Like I never sat down with myself and said, okay, like, what are your goals? What are your long-term goals? What are your short-term goals? And what are the daily activities that you're going to do to try to achieve the short ones that work to meet the long ones? Like, what are you spending on things? Bookkeeping. I, I had never really <laughs> thought of any of that. And I think I had a little too much confidence in myself that like it just all work out because it doesn't work out. You have to work hard to make it work and then it works. So it was definitely um, a realization. I ended up working more hours than I had ever worked. I also became a full-time law student because I thought that that only made sense to graduate sooner. So I was trying to now be my own full-time boss and a full-time law student. And I did realize that if I didn't feel like reselling that day, there, there was no law, uh, law office paycheck coming at the end of the month. So I, I wasn't allowed to not feel like reselling that day. And that's a tough pill to swallow. Yeah, no, I, I relate to a lot of what you're saying that about the transition period that happens that a lot of people, you can't really predict how it's going to affect you when you leave, you know, a traditional job. If you're somebody who's always been in the workforce, you consider yourself to be a hard worker, and then you think about working for yourself, right, being your own boss in your mind, you think, oh, this is going to go great. I'm a hard worker. I know the level that I perform at. However, when you are only ever answering to yourself and you're transitioning out of other people's expectations of the amount of work that you have to do, as well as having, you know, clearly defined roles in a job, the waters get a little murky. <laughs> and as Absolutely. you said, spending, yeah, spending maybe a little bit too much time on your phone or maybe there's a little bit too much daytime TV, you know, things that you maybe didn't get to indulge in before you find yourself indulging in a little bit more. For yourself, I'm playing with a few questions in my head right now, but another thing I wanted to mention is, you know, you said that you had this level of confidence in yourself that it was going to work, that you didn't have this formal business plan. And again, I think that there are a lot of people who can probably relate to that. And I think that as an entrepreneur, I'm curious if you'll agree about this. I think that you need to have that, right? You need to be, I've used this word that I found from, I don't know, a video I saw on TikTok, but you have to be a little bit delusional about your ability to be successful to do it. Do you agree with that statement? Absolutely. I we're in such a unique industry where we're all running businesses, right? But because you know, because we're merchants selling goods, but are we all running businesses? 
Because if you're doing it as a hobby, super casually like I once was, or even as a side hustle, I don't think it requires that much formality, right? If this is your hobby, you would never tell someone that golfs, right? That they're not spending their time golfing, you know, at, at a maximized rate, that they're not golfing efficiently, that they're wasting time or resources golfing. You would never do that, right? And also for a side hustle, if you're just enjoying a little extra income and it's coming in and you've kind of found a way to monetize your hobby, then beautiful. But if you're doing it for the purpose, you know, making and generating revenue, especially if you're exclusively dependent on that revenue, it has to be more formal. And I mean, it has Mm -hmm. to be because you're going to try to scale and grow, but you have to do that in a way that makes sense. You know, it's going to take more time and more money. So that's all just a, a balance that I think we're all always working on every day. I don't think anyone ever masters that how to spend more money to make more money, but to do so efficiently, but also to invest time and money. Like it's all a balancing game. And there has to be some sort of formal plan that you've deliberated to help execute that. It doesn't, it doesn't just magically work. <laughs> right. And I think sometimes, right, we just learn it on the job in the moment. I mean, if I were to go start another company after this someday or another business, I, I would, I would know so much more than I did six years ago, but you know, sometimes, yeah, you got to go through the transition. You've got to go through it all because there's no, there's no reselling school 101. So going along in your journey, you know, you mentioned being a full-time law student while you're reselling, I guess let's fast forward to today. You know, spoiler alert, I know that you have graduated from law school. When did you graduate exactly? Yeah, it's last year, one year ago now. Oh, that's so exciting. Congratulations. So you've graduated from law school. You know, where is your business at today? I think, you know, maybe a million dollar question for those who are listening is, are you practicing law? Are you a lawyer? You know, where, <laughs> where is Erin today? I am not yet practicing law. I will sit for the bar exam next year. But honestly, reselling put me between then and now in a really, really blessed position. I was always really highly motivated to finish school and start practicing and make all the money. Having grown up in foster care and then struggling as a young single mom, I think that had a lot to do with it. But when I quit that job and started working for myself and I was able to do so, I was able to live almost comfortably for the first time ever. I was able to enjoy time with my son. I was able to meet who's now my husband. We had another baby. I did graduate school and I am going to take the bar exam soon before too much of that information leaves me. But I also, I'm not in a rush that I once was. When I started you know, working for myself, I also started writing blogs for Vendu. That turned into a full-time job. So today I am working full-time entirely remotely for Vendu, which is very much related to this industry. Um, It's super flexible. It allows me to also resell. I suppose that might make me a part-time seller again, but I'm not really sure how we make that distinction um, in this community. If it's about hours, then between myself, my husband, and the people I pay, then I'm a full-time seller. There's, There's more than 40 hours going into this business weekly. If it's about exclusive income, then I suppose I'm a part-time seller. But either way, I'm still reselling. I'm reselling every day. I've outsourced a lot of the business. It's become a lot of a family business. My husband's very involved. 
even my oldest son is a little bit involved, or I try to anyways. I will take the bar exam next year. I will immediately get sworn in, assuming I pass, cross your fingers, (laughs) and I will keep my eyes open. I don't know that I'll immediately go actively look to to practice. I've, I've got a great financial situation. I've got a great job. You know, I've got the income of reselling on the side. I now have two incomes as I'm married. Uh, I'd love to have another child maybe. So I'm prioritizing kind of myself and my family more than just making my life about work. I do want to practice law. I was meant to practice law. I will one day. I'm, I'm young enough that I can, I could wait until my children are, you know, stay home alone age and then go pursue that career a little bit more. And I honestly think the business skills that I've learned as a reseller will really help me. You know, bookkeeping, communications, organization, discipline. Should I want to ever be in private practice or my own practice, which would be the goal? I think I've actually developed a lot of the skills that would help me do that. Yeah, I think it's, you know, two things that you mentioned. One about, you know, this full-time, part-time thing. I mean, it's kind of a weird question to ask. Uh, you know, in terms of like yeah. what defi- what defines it, right? Because a lo- we know that reselling in general takes up so much time. If we're saying that something that is part-time is 10 to 20 hours a week, part-time, re- you know, I guess what you could define as some part-time resellers might be working 30 to 40 hours a week. And then people who define themselves as full-time resellers might be working 50 to 60 hours a week. It is so far mm-hmm. from any traditional job that it you're right it does get a little muddy I mean I I think the closest thing we have to equate to it is like you said primary source of income or not primary source of income or secondary yeah the lines whatever the lines get super blurred there um because I mean it, it especially because most resellers work in their home so if you're in your home and it's always there and you're doing it when you can, it's, right. it's a lot of work. And our phones don't stop, right? Do you stop getting offers or questions? Oh, my gosh, yeah. If I had to stay clocked in for all the hours, you know, I'm, any reseller can relate to this. If you had to stay clocked in for all the time that you spent on your business, I, I mean, no employer would want to pay you. I mean, the amount of overtime would be so absurd. <laughs> You get let go <laughs> really quickly. Yeah. You know, you kind of you kind of answered this. I'm just going to ask it anyway. But you know, you mentioned a couple times that you do want to go and do the bar exam and have you do have this desire to practice law. And I guess you know that was kind of my question: is that sometimes you know we might do our schooling and education for one thing that we really thought we wanted to do in our lives. And then we discover or reignite this thing that we always kind of enjoyed doing. And then, yeah, I guess my question was, is, you know, would you still want to practice law? Because I also think, I also think it can exist where you went to school for all this time, went to law school, and then, you know, now that you're doing this, have you just don't have the desire to do it anymore. (laughs) 
I know firsthand how exhausting it can be to manage all the tasks in my reselling business, like listing, bookkeeping, and more, but I've found a solution that has given me back my time and allowed me to grow my business, hiring a virtual assistant. And now I want to share that solution with you. That's why I've created an online course called Hiring a Virtual Assistant for Your Reselling Business. With this course, you'll learn everything you need to know to find, train, and manage a virtual assistant like a pro. And because I want to make this course accessible to everyone, I'm offering a special coupon code, Flip the Script, that gives you $10 off at checkout. Don't miss out on this opportunity to take your reselling business to the next level. Sign up now at hiringava.com and let's enjoy the freedom and fun of growing our businesses together. Again, you can sign up at hiringava.com. If you ask anyone in my family, that's what all of my relatives think happens. They all mm-hmm. think that I'm hundreds of thousands in debt from law school and I'm going to sell trash online. Um, which, by the <laughs> way, if I was, if I was, that would be totally fine because selling trash right. online has awarded me the most comfort, time with my kids, happiness, etc. So it would be totally fine if that's what I wanted to do. However, <laughs> I, re- I really do want to practice law. So I definitely will one day to be all about like the desperation of quickly making money, but it's also really rewarding to think of the different ways I could use law. You know, as soon as I am licensed, I could consider getting on the public defense list, for example, to be court appointed counsel on a very part-time basis that would, you know, have me working one or two days a week in that, in that field and still allow me some flexibility, or I could get a full-time job or a private practice, public work. There's a lot of, a lot of different opportunities there. I think that's cool. I mean, you know, you said some part-time opportunities there in law. It would just be so fun to be like, oh yeah, I practice law as my like side income or side hustle. (laughs) I feel like that would sound really cool to say like, oh yeah, I do that just on the side for extra income. But I sell trash on the internet primarily for (laughs) that's what I that's what I'm doing now actually no I do do some freelance paralegal work so I'm kind of on the side of selling trash (laughs) full-time I love it that's amazing (laughs) okay so you know talk to me about your workspace and business operations because you've grown your business over these past few years are you you know we mentioned that people sell out of their homes do you sell out of your home do you have a storage unit? What does it look like for you? So it's looked like a lot of different things over the years. All of the above that you've mentioned, I've tried. (laughs) I am currently (laughs) blessed with a really, really good setup. As a renter too, I'm a tenant. So I happened upon uh, an apartment that works just unbelievably because there is semi-attached warehouse space in an industrial garage and semi-attached office space, essentially a basement that's been, you know, reformatted. So I do have, for the first time here, uh, which I got about two years ago, I do have an entirely almost separate place where the clothes and the lights and the boxes and the stuff can live. Because before this, it was a studio apartment and a storage unit, and the clothes and the boxes and the lights like lived on my table. <laughs> I'm thankful that I, if I had an office and a storage unit, with as busy as my life is and with the little ones, that would be really, really difficult to do the level that I do. But having this workspace for not just me, but the people that work for me to come here uh, is the biggest blessing. 
because I'm here, my children are here, other people can come here. There's no commute, there's storage on location. Uh, I definitely, definitely got blessed with this space. I remember looking at it and not assume, I, I kind of knew that the office space was here, but I did not know that there was an industrial garage on the property. And when my now landlord showed me the garage, he said, and you know, there are some, there's a couple shelves here and they were industrial shelves. I mean, they were like the wood between slabs of metal, like 15 feet up in the air, like shelves. And wow. he had two walls free. And I said, well, maybe we could work something out. <laughs> and it's, it's literally like a warehouse space. Uh, and that just could not be more perfect. If I, if I had to leave or pay more for other services, I would not have been able to scale to where I'm at. I've, I've done that before in a small space and you just, you reach a capacity mentally and physically. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like you have an amazing find, you know, I'm curious, how do you know, like the square footage of the warehouse and like office space combined? I'm just trying to get a point of reference in my head. The I want to say that the office is 250 square feet. I should know. I have to look nice. it up every year for taxes. Um, <laughs> so the so the I always text my landlord. So like every like, hey, real quick. I know I've asked you this twice, but I'm not sure about the warehouse space. I like share. He and my landlord actually has quite a bit of stuff in it. It's not pretty by any means, but I have mm-hmm. two very long walls with very tall vertical storage. So your standard 52 liter kind of bin. Um, I have over 60 of those and then several small bins that are all stored and organized very, very well. Got it. Okay. So the office is where you're doing like photographing and shipping and all that sort of stuff. And then the warehouse is just where clothes are being stored. Yep. Simply storage. Got it. Okay, cool. And when you found this place was, uh, you, you kind of started to talk about it. Was it, an intentional find? Like, were you already reselling at that point and you thought, oh, this is going to be a good spot? I mean, you mentioned that, yeah, you kind of happened upon it. Sorry, can you elaborate on that? Yeah, um, it was actually a client of the law firm. So we meet connections everywhere we go. <laughs> and oh, he mentioned awesome. rental property available. Yeah. And I really wasn't going to look. I was kind of content where I was, even though I didn't have enough room. It was the price was right. But I, I looked just for the heck of it. And I mean, I knew it was large. So, and I knew that there was like what you'd call like an in-law, I guess. That was kind of made, which is the office space I'm referring to. So once I saw that and I saw the garage, I was actually more hesitant than my husband. He was my boyfriend at the time. And, you know, obviously the rent was more expensive. And I was really hesitant to commit to that. And he's looking at me just nodding. He's like, for the love of God, <laughs> get the ring light out of my kitchen. Like, yes, <laughs> we are getting this space. <laughs> I mean, it sounds so ideal. I mean, that's in a perfect situation. I would so love to have like a separate space from my the inside of my own home to have my business to operate out of. Being that, I mean, it's still on the property that you live in. Do you find yourself able to separate the work or do you find yourself in there at 10 o'clock at night sometimes? Oh, I'm definitely down here at 10 o'clock at night sometimes. <laughs> but, but I'm almost okay with that because it is real. Like the rule is though, like I, when I go upstairs, it's gone. So if, even if I'm going to come down for a little bit, which by the way, it's my space to come down to. 
So it's like, it's not the kid's space. It's not the animal space. It's not like the loud space. I do have a productive work environment that, you know, is decorated the way I like, like it is a happy place, if you will. And that's important. Um, But what's even more important is that there is the separation when I go upstairs, because when I'm in my home, there aren't jeans on my kitchen table and there aren't bags of clothes, you know, from the thrift store in stacks. And there are those little plastic things from the inventory bags (laughs) everywhere. So it is, it's hard to separate as hard as it is for everyone, even if it's just another room in your house, but it's much, a much better situation than when I had no room and I was just using, you know, a command hook in my bedroom and then my kitchen table. And then until company came over, I mean, the stuff was just everywhere. It was just literally everywhere. Yeah, no, I get it. And I think, you know, that's, how a lot of us start out there's a lot of people who still have that sort of situation and you know you're (laughs) you are in a great situation now it's wonderful how those those things kind of work themselves out I would love to have yeah that sort of you know the office space an office to just like leave my home and then walk into another office on my property that sounds just so perfect. So being that I said that, I guess on the flip side, you know, my next question for you is what are some of the challenges you feel like you face in your business? Time management and prioritization will definitely always be a challenge. Not every part of running a business is fun, right? Or I mean, sourcing mm-hmm. is definitely more fun than photographing, which might be more fun than listing, or we all have our own parts of the process that we love and hate. So discipline is definitely a struggle. And another struggle is outsourcing efficiently. And I had kind of hinted at this prior, but we all reach a point where um, if we're going to continue to scale and grow, we realize there's only 24 hours a day and you're only one person. So there's different ways to combat that. One is, you know, higher quality inventory. But sure, if we could all sell Gucci and Chanel all day long, we would be. We can't. <laughs> so another, another way is to, to outsource parts of the process, whether that's, you know, starting with bots or then trying a VA, like, a, you know, an actual human, then having people come to you for things like photography and shipping. That's always a struggle to make sure that what you are paying for these services for people, they can yield you enough revenue that that makes sense. And Mm -hmm. this industry fluctuates. I I don't know many sellers right now that are saying they're having their best sales ever. You know, you still have to pay for these people and services, even when it's not the best sales ever. And that's just a constant balance. Because if you go from, you know, a hundred a week, and then this is obviously a very low example, but if you're making a hundred a week, and then, you know, you pay people, 50 in profits, but you're only making 150 a week. Like that's nothing. You're dead. You did not make profit. Like you, you know, you have to be at least making what 250. And these are small numbers. We're trying to talk about hopefully bigger and growing ones. So I always struggle with the financial analysis and the balance and the you know the good business decisions and really keeping up with my my bookkeeping and times and the numbers. Like I'm not a numbers person. I hate spreadsheets. But unfortunately, that's part of business, and it's something I'm forever trying to analyze, tweak, balance, and make more efficient. Yeah, and you know, you mentioned outsourcing parts of your business and and hiring virtual assistants, and then bringing in people from the 
outside to help you with your business. It sounds like it's freed you up from a lot of the maybe daily tasks in the business. I'm curious, you know, what you find yourself, what do you do regularly in your business now? Now I'm primarily the sourcer and the lister and the photographer when there's a model. So what I have other people doing is basically processing, drafting, which is just kind of, you know, going into Vendue, like title, the drop downs, the measurements, the SKU number, um, Mm -hmm. photographing, bagging, adding that SKU and putting in the garage. So I'm the, the lister. And that's actually something that gets me really behind. I probably have hundreds of, well, I know I have hundreds, hundreds of items right now that are in the warehouse in bags and bins that are not yet listed. And it's because where I'm personally held up now is in the photo editing and the actual listing. That said, I'm not ready financially or mentally to necessarily expedite that, nor do I think I'm at a point where I can strategically do so and it makes financial sense in the current selling. So I'm starting to get my hands into a little bit more and do a little bit more to kind of save that labor. But it's it's a struggle. It's, I think it's a yeah. struggle we can all relate to. Definitely. And do you feel like, you, you know, you said having a, a bunch of giraffes in there because you're doing like the photo editing and the pr- imagine the pricing for your items and everything. Mm-hmm. Do you find, you know, that you're kind of, you have this, backlog of it because those areas maybe are you just more of uh what's the word I'm looking for you're having trouble giving up control on those absolutely it's it's giving up control and it's this probably unreasonable fear that no one could do it as good as us Mm -hmm. you know what I mean we've (laughs) we've done this for so long we have a good idea of titles and descriptions and how they perform we've perfected SEO we've done research I have a hard time thinking anyone can do it as good as me for my items. I really do. And some of it's justified. I've attempted to train it and not everyone can do it well, Mm -hmm. but I have to also realize like that you have to, I mean, any, any large CEO, right? Like doesn't have their hands in pretty much anything at that level ever. Uh, It's, it's a lot to, to earn more profit requires a lot of letting go. I want a happy medium. If I was doing it just for money, I could probably find easier ways to make money than all of the work that us resellers do. I do want to be involved. Mm-hmm. I just need to let go of a little control and be involved more efficiently, for sure. No, I get it. I mean, I was just curious because I'm very, <laughs> very similar to you. I think a lot of people can relate to that. I mean, a lot of people, their biggest hesitation with bringing others into their business in general is just having to give up control. And at each level, even when you, once you do bring people in, there are levels of it that you have to give up. And sometimes we eventually reach the one that we are, (laughs) we get stuck on for a while. So I I can totally uh, relate to you on that one. Uh, You know, being that you've grown your business, this much you've got employees you've got this great office space I guess I'm wondering where do you see the future of your business going I will definitely always be a reseller Uh, I could be the most successful attorney in the world but I would never stop doing this because I love this 
I've, I've debated over the years. Is it something I want to scale and grow to an, a legitimate warehouse space where I'm not too involved at all, but it's growing? Or it, do I want to pursue other career avenues and keep it as, you know, a side hustle hobby in some way always? And the answer today, Denali, is I don't know. <laughs> Um, mm-hmm. And I'm okay with that. You know, it's important to have a business plan. It's important to know where you're going and it's important to have goals. I do have those things in life, but I think it's also a blessing to have possibilities. If I were to become, you know, licensed and one of my, uh, to practice law and one of my connections in that field offered me the most amazing, incredible, lucrative job that I would love, I would probably do it and let reselling take a back seat. That said, if it never came up and if reselling, you know, the economy started to improve and things were continuing to look up as they were, let's say, a year ago, I could also see myself scaling and trying to move into the commercial space. So I don't know immediately. I'm very open as to where it could go. And I'm just keeping a really close eye on things and doing things that make sense, not just for me now, but for my family. So my kids are always at the top of that list and what makes the most sense for them. Right now, it's exactly how it is, and it's perfect, but we'll see uh, where it goes in the future. Yeah, no, I I can relate to that. I mean, it's, you know, you've built something really awesome that's profitable, that's working for you right now. It's just, you know, I mean, yes, there are possibilities that exist that you might be aware of and some that you might not be aware of yet that may come to you, but in some ways, it's also like, you know, why rock the boat? It's working really well for you in not only like the financial aspect of your life, but the personal part of your life. And really, as I can relate to hearing your story, is that the personal part of your life is really what spawned a lot of this, right? Was being able to have more time to be with your family and your kids. And that's, you know, that's kind of what got me into doing this full-time as well so it's something that we really value and and you know you don't want to have it taken away from you because they're only young ones absolutely a hundred percent on that and I lost a lot of years for you know I do feel guilty at times although I shouldn't I've always done what I have to do to provide for children even when that I mean I when I was a waitress I was not working paycheck to paycheck I was working night to night like hoping the restaurant was busy enough to pay the fitter and then provide income. So a big part of it is that I, I hold on to reselling really dearly because it put me in a financially comfortable place where nothing had prior. And I, I do feel guilty at times that I hustled so much when my first was youngest. No, but I know that I did what I had to do. And now that I have all of that time and it's so great for both of us, I definitely don't want to compromise that. And another thing that's great that I don't want to lose is that you get what you put out of reselling. You know, I remember back in the day when I was a waitress, if I wanted some more money, I would try to pick up a few extra shifts. When I was working as a paralegal, there's no extra shifts. I mean, Mm -hmm. I didn't even have overtime, but even if I had, you know, that's within the limits of what a boss will allow. But with this, you can really get what you put in. It's always an opportunity. Having the skills and knowing how to be a reseller is such a like a blessing because you take that with you everywhere you go. If times are tough, you can put more in. You enjoy it. It's it's definitely something that I love. That is true. There is that flexibility that doesn't exist in 
a lot of jobs. I mean, your example of, you know, when you're waitressing is a great one because that is an instance of you can pick up extra shifts and that night of the shift, you can go home with, I mean, in most cases, in most restaurants, you can go home with extra cash in your pocket that night. Uh, but if you are working, you know, your job as paralegal, some employers, they don't pay, you know, they, they don't allow for overtime, right? There's that scenario. And then perhaps if you are working a salary job somewhere, then you're definitely not getting paid for overtime. That's just included <laughs> in your salary. And boy, is that a bummer. Yeah. But with reselling, there is an opportunity to have quick cash on hand. You know, it doesn't, maybe not in all scenarios, because, right, if you sell something on Poshmark, then you got to wait for the person to receive it, and they have to accept it, and, right, there's a little bit of lag time in there, but there are so many different forms of reselling that exist as well, right, we, you know, there's Facebook Marketplace, or Craigslist, or lots of different things like that, where you do have opportunity, garage sales, right, that is a form of reselling, whether people realize it or not, where you can have this cash on hand, and, you have this flexibility to, you know, as you mentioned, go hard on it when you want to go hard on it and then pull back at times where, you know, for instance, maybe it's spring break for your kids and you want to take that week off with them to be able to spend time, maybe to go somewhere, or do a staycation, whatever it might be. But then you can pull back on the reselling, right? You could go really hard the week before in preparation of your time off, similar to what you do in other jobs. But as you said, you kind of, you get what you put into it, which is just a really nice option to have. Yeah. It's a blessing for sure. Absolutely. It's a skill set that, I mean, if people are into it and they want to learn it, it's great, but it's not for everyone. I always say that it's not for everyone. Not everyone's going to like this work because it's definitely not easy work. I think you'll agree with me. Oh, it's way more difficult than I think we even realized because we just do it. Um, yeah. It's not for everyone. But the thing that is also cool is that it could be for anyone. You know, Absolutely. a lot of resellers start in their own closet and then, you know, small thrift purchases and they build these amazing businesses. And it doesn't require, you know, money up front. It doesn't require formal education. It doesn't doesn't require a ton. So it can be for anyone, even if it's not for everyone. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Anyone is capable of doing it. It's about whether you actually enjoy the work, which is ultimately at the end of the day, that's going to be the case really with any job. So, but it can be, a, you know, it definitely can be something that gets people from point A to point B. If you need some quick cash in your life, this reselling could do the trick for you. But my last question for you, Erin, is, you know, thinking back on your journey in reselling, I'm wondering, you know, what piece of advice would you have given yourself when you were first starting out? And first starting out, really, you can apply it at any point for yourself, right? Because you have had this long history of casually reselling, whether it be going back and telling yourself in, you know, 2009 or 2013 or whatever, you know, hey, go hard on this, or, you know, maybe Mm -hmm. more recently, uh, an an experience that happened, you know, when you left your job, is there something during that period of transition that you would have told yourself that maybe would have put you in a better place? 
I actually have two. And they really apply to anyone, no matter where they're at in reselling. And the first is so simple and so cliche, but I really want to want to hammer it in. Time is money. I spent so many years, Denali, not realizing this, like not realizing it appropriately, like looking at just my cost of goods versus my final profit after fees and like looking at just that number and totally disregarding all of the time that I was spending to get there. So it's not mm-hmm. just what you can turn your cost of good into, right? In theory, spending $2 and profiting 10 is 400%. Like, that's great, right? No, <laughs> it's not. It's not. We spend so much time sourcing, cleaning, photographing, and editing photos, researching, listing, managing those listings every day with questions and offers, shipping, so much time goes in that we don't even think about, right? So even mm-hmm. if that whole process only took us 30 minutes, which by the way, it didn't, it took longer over time, $8 of profit because you bought something for two and sold it for 10, like that is not enough for that. And it took me so long to realize that time is money. And that for that reason, there is no such thing as free inventory. I think I thought... Mm-hmm. You know, when you first start and you have inventory given to you, you'll list it absolutely because the only thing it costs you is your time to start to, you right. know, generate revenue and learn. Absolutely. But that period at some defined point needs to stop. And I, and to this day, I have inventory that probably needs to go. Like, I, it still has not fully stopped for me. Mm-hmm. I really, really am trying to be more mindful of time and the value of my time. So that's one. (laughs) Uh Uh, And another is not being afraid to invest, right? Like you can turn a $5 item into 40 and that's amazing. It's even better to turn a $10 item into 80. And if you can get there, it's even better to turn a $20 item into 160. It's all almost the same amount of time, but I'm not even just talking about inventory. It took me years to invest in a lighting kit that would make infinitely better photos and, and really eliminate the hours of photo editing I was spending because I just didn't want to send it. The same with the steamer or a thermal printer. These things are a couple hundred dollars that we can't fathom justifying because we're not thinking about, you know, the tax write-off and the, and the time that they're saving. So not being afraid to invest, I think, is really important. I talked about how you can start with nothing, no money up front, absolutely. But, you know, using some of those profits to skillfully and effectively invest will produce the best results. They say that you can't make money without spending money. And to some extent, to really scale and grow, that actually is very true. You know, I used to spend hours removing a logo from a photo editor because I didn't want to pay $40 a year for the version. Like, I say that now like it's so silly. But in my mind then, that was $40. And that was a matter of principle. And I wasn't thinking about it necessarily like a business owner. And uh, it's hard to think of things like business owners. If we didn't go to business school, which I certainly didn't, you know, I've never been formally trained on how to do bookkeeping and how to analyze things and how to be, you know, business-minded and analytically driven by my own stats and how to budget appropriately. Things I'm learning as I go, but investing wisely in anything you do in life, especially reselling, will pay off for sure. Yeah, no, both of those are great. I mean, 
you know, that first one that you mentioned about time is money, it's true. And, and, you know, there is value in when you're first starting out, like you mentioned, people are going to give you free stuff or, you know, you have stuff from your own closet or house to sell. And I always encourage people when you're first starting out, sell all the things in your house, right? Go for it because it's just, I mean, free money. I use that term loosely because, right, obviously you paid for it at some point if it's your own <laughs> stuff. But um, but sell all those things and then take, you know, the capital from that and go to the thrift store and start making some smart, wise investments, which is, you know, unless you maybe went to fashion school, if you're going to be a clothing reseller or whatever your specialty category niche is going to be, you know, it can sometimes be hard, right? When you're first starting out, you, you're you not exactly sure what's going to sell, how well it will sell, what it will sell for. For me, something that I really learned over time, and, uh, you know, I'm curious for you as well, but, you know, I, I stopped allowing myself to put things in my cart that I didn't know what it was going to sell for, right? And that meant for me, not just looking at eBay or Poshmark and seeing, oh, look, you know, people are selling this item right now and it's selling for $50. But taking it a step further and saying, no, 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 what are the solds? What did this item, what what is it actually selling for? And unfortunately, with Poshmark, it's not as clear maybe necessarily as eBay, but with eBay, you do get to see the date that it sold, right? With Poshmark, I think it lacks a year, which is a little frustrating at times because that data goes back to, I think when the app started. So it's kind of hard to figure out like what year was this event? But with eBay, you do get actually the year. So it's like, are people, is this an in-demand item? Has it sold recently? And what does it actually sell for? And because once you take it home, it's your problem now, right? And going back to time is money, you know, it's going to be your time that's spent on it. And you're going to be sharing that item in your closet or your store and answering all those questions, like you mentioned. Um, and then also part two to what you said is uh, investing and, and not being afraid, afraid to put that money in for tools that are going to help your business. I completely agree with you on that. I mean, I think I've, <laughs> I've always been a good shopper, Aaron, so I'm never afraid to <laughs> put tools for my business, but once you do have them, you do realize, you know, for maybe a thermal label printer, you know, the time that it takes to print them out on your eight by 11 piece of paper, then cut them out, then use your clear shipping tape and right. I mean, all that kind of adds up, not to mention. Ink and get ink. Oh yeah. Yeah. All that stuff is expensive. Whereas the cost of a thermal label printer, I mean, it pays for itself fairly quickly. And I like your example about editing out the watermark from the <laughs> photo editing tools you are certainly not the only person who does that. I, I haven't ever done that, but I know people who do or have done that. And I've always wondered, like, what is the time that it takes to do? Like, is it fast or how fast can it be? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's, I mean, listen, we all pride ourselves in being thrifty. What is cool is getting a hundred dollar right. pair of jeans for five. What is not cool is spending four minutes, for every photo to edit, to remove a logo when you could just buy that whole thing for 40 a year. Like, so sometimes I I pride myself in being cheap in some areas, but like not, you don't want to be cheap in business. Savvy. Yes. 
cheap now, but the savviness is like you said, analyzing the time and realizing when things would pay for themselves. Right, exactly. And, you know, unfortunately, for a lot of us, we do learn it the hard way, right? Because, you know, I would probably say similar advice to myself when I was first starting out, but here I am many years later, you know. So I I love asking this question because hopefully people who are maybe earlier on in their journey can kind of take it in and and maybe take the advice. Because I don't know, do you think you would actually, if we could go back, do you think you would have would have listened to this advice if somebody had told you it or are you stubborn? (laughs) I like to think that I would. And again, (laughs) I mean, when we were teenagers and adults told us really reasonable advice, you know, um, did we listen? (laughs) uh, No, no. (laughs) I will say for anyone new listening, uh, if, you know, if you're starting to really try to be serious about a profit, it's the free inventory that has over the years killed me. I always look yeah. when friends say, I have bags do you want to look at. And I think, well, I wouldn't buy that for, you know, seven. But if it's free, I'll sell it because I'm saving seven. No, 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 no. If you wouldn't spend your average cost of goods or higher on that, you know, like, just donate it. Seriously, just donate it. Right. Because my, I have so many... Uh, probably hundreds of thousands of hours upside down and things that I just didn't look at that way. So that is something I wish that I had considered earlier, but I'm getting better. <laughs> We're all getting better every day. <laughs> right. And yeah, it's something you learn. Cause I think that there, right. Again, there is some value in getting that free inventory, but it's, it's understanding that you don't have to sell all of it. If your friend brings you a bag of clothing that they were going to just drop off at the thrift store anyway it's about going through it and in the same way that you would at the thrift store and running comps on those items and saying "Ooh, I don't yeah okay that one's not so good okay I'm not going to really see much profit there and it's not that you can't take the inventory from your friend you know be gracious don't make them feel bad (laughs) take the bag and and you know let them know or they'll already understand that you'll go through it and whatever you can make money on you'll keep and and sell and then what you can't you know you'll pass on to the thrift store and they can sell it and there's still a win in there for everybody but it's just about being you know more discerning in in the inventory that you're taking in absolutely and it all it all comes down to that first point even even investing does time is money I should, I should get that in like one of those neon cursive lights on my wall. Cause it's really it's my thing. It's something I need to be more conscious of. It's something I, I work on, on, you know, keeping on mind and everything I do. Yeah. And I think that if we go back in some ways, it kind of is reflective of the story that you shared with me today, which is that, you know, you were spending a lot of time working jobs to be able to provide for your family and have daycare and do all that sort of stuff. And you really weren't finding something that gave you back time, right? You weren't finding the money that gave you back your time. You know, I'm like, does that make sense? I'm trying to tie it all together. And I really feel like I hit something there. (laughs) Maybe not. Yeah, no, but (laughs) you hit it. That's exactly it. Yeah. And I I think that that's something even for myself, right? You know, it's just, I needed for myself, I needed to find, you know, something when I was transitioning out of 
my current job or my former job <laughs> to do this. It's just something that provided the money to be able to give me the more time with my family that I sounds like both of us have accomplished today. So we're both winners, Aaron. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Everyone reselling, even if, you know, it's not about kids, it's about travel or your hobbies on the weekend. It is. It really is about getting the money to get your time back. You know, that's what we live to live, not to work. So we're blessed to have this yeah. job with its flexibility, but whatever we're doing has to make sense for the bigger picture and what we want to enjoy when we're not doing it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, thank you so much, Erin. This has been such a fun conversation. Thank you so much. I'm so excited uh, when you reached out. So excited to get to chat with you. As you know, I've been a fan for many years. So what a very cool opportunity. I feel really, really blessed to get to share with you. And thank you so much for your hospitality. Oh, my gosh. No, I mean, the pleasure is all mine. I, like I said, I felt like I know I knew a lot of little things about you. And now I, I've gotten to put it all together. I feel like I've got all the puzzle pieces. You know, it's like you go to the thrift store and you buy a puzzle and you're like, oh, I don't know if all the pieces are going to be in there. But I finally got them all, Aaron. <laughs> you them in for me. We love it. Now you know my dirty secret. <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, thank you so much. And I will talk with you soon, my friend. Thanks, Denali. Bye. Bye. Thanks again to Erin for being on this week's episode of the podcast. Again, you can find Erin on Instagram under the username Erin the Reseller, and all of that information will be in the show notes of this episode for you. Well, after a nine-month hiatus, I've recently returned to shopping at the Goodwill outlet, and I can't believe I stayed away for so long. I'm incredibly excited to be sourcing from there again, and I just published my first haul video on my YouTube channel. So if you enjoy watching haul videos, I invite you to check out my channel. You can find me at youtube.com backslash But until next time, keep on listing and keep on selling.